listening to The Living Revolution, where we talk about synthetic biology, one of the most exciting and innovative fields across all the scientific disciplines. Today we're going to be talking to Professor Louise Horsfall, the Programme Director for the Masters in Synthetic Biology at Edinburgh University. She's been kind enough today to share us her expertise in the field and talks all about what is synthetic biology and some exciting applications occurring in the field. This podcast is brought to you by the Manchester IGM 2021 team with support from the Manchester Institute of Biotechnology and the University of Manchester. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the show. What do you think are the most important things to get across to people for them to fully understand what synthetic biology actually is? We set the course up so that the programme has some core courses in the first semester that teach the very the tools that synthetic biologists use. But then we discuss whether that means that they're synthetic biology or whether they're just tools that synthetic biologists can use, but also they're obviously available for all scientists to use as well um, and have discussions over what makes synthetic biology um, and and the definitions that are out there and how they're changing, how they're evolving, how some of the terms are evolving and being captured or overtaken by by others, such as engineering biology in the UK. I was wondering what, what are the main tools that you think are important for synthetic biology? Yeah, so we we have to balance what's within that course and also what, what we do with the automation and industry course. So we, we keep the automation aspect there that's not within the the tools course um but we do have things like dna construction um so dna synthesis sequencing um rna switches there's uh compartmentalization oh microfluidics as well we've Mm. been speaking about Uh, things that you said that i'd like to um sort of elaborate on you said you tried to define synthetic biology i was wondering what a definition of synthetic biology would be for you <laughs> which is hard i guess no i said we talk about definition okay i guess students <laughs> to define what they think is synthetic <laughs> biology i totally steer away from it i'm like have you seen this one this has been offered by the yeah royal academy of engineering um have you seen this one this one's been offered by the bbslc these are very right, uk right. based yeah. this is the european version okay. this is the... <laughs> totally stay away from it no nope, not offering that okay yeah that makes sense <laughs> do you have sort of an, an area that you kind of think is the most important that might be a difficult question but do you think well, I, yeah, so I am responsible for very much for the applications course. And I think that's because um, I do sit on the side of synthetic biology that merges very much with the biotechnology, the microbial biotechnology, more than what Edinburgh's perhaps known for as the mammalian synthetic biology. I think the, the most exciting things going forward that synthetic biology is doing are kind of in the biomaterials area. I think it's made some great uh, contributions in industrial biotechnology, um, accessing new pharmaceuticals, and um, I know that it's it's going to have an impact in the medical arena. But for me, the the perhaps the more exciting areas, uh, what it can offer sustainability wise, what it can offer as alternative materials, how we can perhaps be able to grow these, but that they have 
some of the offerings of biology, the specificity, the selectivity of, of biology to be able to offer just such a huge range of applications. Um, are, there, are there anything out there now that have been uh, so already kind of sold to the public that's a synthetic biology biomaterial, or is that still in research phase? Well, I think the the lab cultured meats is kind of that that frontier at the yeah, moment yeah. Um, that is capturing the public's imagination because it's yeah it, it's kind of out there. But um, I think that's sort of been adopted as potentially synthetic biology but I don't think that's really where it originated it didn't originate from somebody who would have called themselves necessarily a synthetic biologist depends on your definition of synthetic biology but it's, it's not just that there is there just there are people out there that you know if it's whether you want to be a synthetic biologist as well because it's such a welcoming community mm. um there is some aspect of that as to whether you want to be classed as a synthetic biologist or you want to be classed as something else that blurs the edges of, of the field. What excites you the most about synthetic biology? Well, that's always going to be a bit biased by my own work, isn't it? Because it's the reason why I got in the bit that I do and why mm. I like it. So I, I love the, um, the specificity and the selectivity that biology has for metals. I, I started out my career arguably it's I think it was a career then uh, I started out as an undergraduate doing chemistry and I didn't feel like I fitted in and I didn't really end up liking it that much um, as a degree and I liked the biology bit and I kept being like ill biology does that better so for my my project year I got to go in a biochemistry lab it was it was kind of one of these joint labs where they had a synthetic chemistry component, but then they also had the biochemistry component where people were producing enzymes and then studying them. And I really got in that side of it. So I was expressing enzymes, mutants, and then trying to work out what the mutations were doing. Uh, and I loved it, absolutely loved it. And it was just totally different. And so that just changed my view of that, that chemistry degree entirely. Um, and then I wanted to do, I wanted to carry on. I was like, I finally found the bit that I really like. I don't want to leave and stop. So that's why I did a PhD and then kind of moved from biochemistry into synthetic biology. It's the selectivity and the sensitivity that, that biology offers that I feel that we need to be able to capture and use as a tool um, in a way that can replace currently in use chemical methods so it offers the greener cleaner hopefully at some point potentially cheaper because biology is able to reproduce itself as well and it's it's about harnessing that that, that synthetic biology allows us to do that so at the moment in in my group we're, we've got some fantastic work that's going on in engineering the bacteria to be able to produce nanoparticles of metals that uh, it's producing them from waste um, or they various different strains are producing these metal nanoparticles from waste which is an alternative route to produce nanoparticles because chemists need pure feedstocks also we're being able to produce them and do chemistry with them that at, at very mild conditions 37 degrees C that isn't being done 
under those mild conditions to produce certain products. So it's, it's very industrially relevant, but it's offering an option that's combining biology and chemistry in, in different ways. And we're engineering the, the microbes to be able to tailor the nanoparticles more for the uses that, that we can foresee. Um, and also for being able to potentially recycle things like lithium ion batteries that are going to be the next waste problem. It's just, mm -hmm. it's not there yet because um, we haven't all yet moved to electric vehicles, but we're supposed to by 2050 or something. Yeah, that, I really like that kind of uh, area of synthetic biology. How close is it to sort of implementation into being a feasible source of these metals? Um, it depends what, what, where exactly you're talking about. Right. Um, with regards to the lithium ion batteries, that's not something that is commercially relevant processes as yet. But with regards to um, perhaps some other metals, it's it's a bit closer. There have been, there are companies out there, I think there's talk of a company called Mint opening a metal recovery factory. Um, <laughs> not sure it's quite a factory, but um, yeah. that the, the, they're actually going to be establishing themselves in the UK very soon. I think that was in the newspapers about six months ago. So I'm not quite sure where they are in that process yet. They've given a few talks as being a new company in the UK. They're mainly recovering gold, which is unsurprising that you have to do it with the high value metals. Um, they're mainly recovering gold, I think, from circuit boards and that kind of electric electronic waste right yeah so that is kind of there it's kind of ready um in combination with with other techniques but it's yeah it is there whereas the lithium ion batteries is still it's only really just been recognized as a future waste problem right um so work on it still quite in the early stages but there are critical metals within lithium ion batteries lithium itself has now been classified as a critical metal by the eu um and cobalt... what, what does that mean sorry the critical metal is it so criticality is um a, is, is kind of a dynamic factor because it depends both on the economic value like how much it's used um, so obviously that's increasing because the demand's increasing because of the, the use of lithium ion batteries, but it also is dependent on supply issues and cobalt. We depend on the supply really from areas of, um, political instability. Right. Yeah. Um, along with a lot of, uh, rare earth elements, which mm. are in other, uh, green technologies, uh, we rely on them for magnets and um, certain catalysts, but it's, it, it is that kind of move to more green technologies. We're actually moving towards more critical metals or reliance on, the, on these metals is increasing. So lithium, um, the, the EU does this criticality assessment um, every three, four years. Um, and the most recent one that was done in 2020, lithium moved into this critical category um, because of its both demand and its, its supply issues. Um, 
and cobalt was already there, so it's been in there for a while. And those are two components that are in the lithium-ion batteries. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that up. Um, so, do you feel? Do you think it's probably more of a recovering and recycling rather than replacing the primary production of the metal, or do you think it could be involved in both steps eventually? I think there's definitely. There's all, there has been biomining or synthetic biology interest in biomining for mm. quite a long time as well. Yeah. Um, there's been iGEM groups that have been talking about mining asteroids oh. um, <laughs> previously. Yeah. Um, but there's, yeah, there has been that, that biomining interest for, for some time. Um, and that's not entirely different. It's just what's your source of metals? can be ores or it can be um a different challenge which is the electronic waste of, of various different varieties so there's there's certainly opportunities there for us we've been focusing on um more replacing electro winning than replacing the mining because mining tends to um or at least biomining tends to dissolve things and get a leachate and we're trying to recover metals from the leachate so we're kind of ours is a that part of the potential solution yeah i, I think there's I, i'm not offering or i'm not thinking that these are at this point in time ever going to be an alternative that just takes over everything it's about working with what's already there and using biology to the best of its ability it is very selective and it is very sensitive and therefore, it might be that certain things with high concentrations of, of metals are suitable for chemists to, to be able to transform. But it might also be that biologists can transform more the dilute solutions or the more mixed solutions that probably are more likely to be wastes. What are the main hurdles being encountered by synthetic biology researchers at the minute? I think... Um, yeah, hurdles are very much in the area of implementation, um, and it's you. You still get quite often that the kind of outreach that isn't a dialogue, but it's telling people about your work, and that's how people view that synthetic biology will be accepted because we tell you about your what we're going to do, um, or our research will be accepted because we tell you about what we're going to do. Whereas. Um, the, the reason that synthetic biology wanted to get away from that was because it wanted to have dialogues and it wanted to find out what are the pinch points, what kind of makes people go, no, that is, no, just yuck, no, I can't, no, I can't, I don't want that. And it's, it's been trying to do that for a while and I think it's done that very well with a lot of art collaborations um or collaborations with designers where they've been able to um create a vision that that has kind of perhaps made people go oh that's really exciting or it's totally repelled people and gone no ick um i don't like marmite <laughs> yeah um, not necessarily, I'm not necessarily talking about one vision. I might be talking about just different angles of, of, of seeing things. Um, and, and I think it's done that, that very well. And it's, it's tried and tested a lot of things, but there's still going to be hurdles encountered with, with implementation. I think in, in my own area, one of the things that we lazily do is say that we're offering a more sustainable solution and then we don't quantify it. 
And I think it's very important that we actually start producing data that says, yes, it is greener. It's a greener alternative by this much because you have to do, but you also have to do this to, yeah. So it's about getting those those numbers that, that back up what we're actually saying. But I think certainly with regards to medical applications and food applications, it it, it is about having the, the dialogue and changing the research that you're doing to reflect the dialogues that you've had and not try and just enforce a solution on people, but to work with the people that, that are going to benefit or potentially as you see them benefiting from, from the solution that you're perhaps offering or, or aiming to offer. They've got to actually want it. What do you think is the best way to have that dialogue? I don't think there is a best way. I think that's that's what I've learned from the collaborations that I've done. It's got to be about having the the conversations that that mean that you change, but getting that initial idea over can be with with a collaboration that that perhaps articulates it for you. That might be in fantasy fiction story it might be as a piece of artwork it might be as some kind of immersive experience it's it doesn't matter it's it's making sure that it's allowing somebody to to have their own vision of what you're saying and then work out with them what it is that they see from what you're trying to tell them or what it is that they see that they like and that they don't like from whatever vision it is that you've created perhaps with being such kind of a an interdisciplinary sort of field do you feel like there's a specific kind of skill set that a student should have to be good at synthetic biology like do you notice it in students we we try within the msc we try and assess through lots of different ways so we don't try and select one type of person because I think the interdisciplinarity that that is within the field of synthetic biology needs to be captured within groupings of synthetic biologists when they're working mm. together. Yeah. Um, it is about having groups that have different specialisms that kind of build on each other um, that can work together as a team and within that team, it's about not having the same kind of person, you know, that, that kind of looks at a problem in the same way. It's about having real diversity within, within a group in both specialisms, but kind of approach that creativity. I think synthetic biology with its, a lot of its collaborations that it's done in the art science field, it has been really creative. It's been fantastic at, creating some strange stories and images and visions of what synthetic biology might be or could do. And I think that's been very important. And that isn't necessarily something that uh, the average scientific researcher would do. Right, right. So we were talking about the collaborations and the different advances we made in synthetic biology. How would you advise students to stay on top of the new literature from the field? I've actually always found for a great number of years that Twitter is incredibly helpful because you get to know very quickly 
following different people, um, what are the most interesting advances that are, that are literally just happening? Sometimes it's people for, that you follow promoting their own papers, but as a community, there's definitely a lot of um, very active synthetic biology tweeters that will will let you know the, the a new article that, that really captured their imagination or that they think's brilliant or this is the biggest advance that's that's out there that's coming and you know you can do that networking in person and have those conversations by going to a conference but how many times do you do that especially the last year or two um you know it, it doesn't happen very often whereas actually on on twitter you can have those conversations or you can see those those opinions and they're put out there very quickly and if you miss one or two it doesn't matter um, there's always another one you know highlighted that's that's interesting that's it for today's episode with professor louise horsefall follow us on instagram to stay updated at manchester igem 2021 New episodes will be out each week. Next week, we'll be talking to Professor Simon Turner about genetically modifying plants. I hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great day.